Yeah, so just, uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning, we're looking at the first 11 verses, and we're looking at the subject of carnal Christianity. As I was preparing my message this week, I talk about my message to people all week. I talk about my, my buddies and friends and people around, and I'm like, yeah, I'm teaching on carnal Christianity this Sunday. And you know what their question was? What is that? What is that? So if you don't know what carnal Christianity is, when you leave here this morning, you will know what carnal Christianity is. And Paul addresses it right here. It's a great passage of Scripture. So let's look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's read the first four verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as the men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? He's asking the question. For when one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And that brings us to the subject this morning of, of carnal Christianity. What is carnal Christianity? Basically, it's a believer who's got one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. It's, a, it's somebody who professes faith in Jesus Christ. They're a believer, but they're living like the world. And a lot of times, you know, especially in the early years of Christianity, you know, I remember when I came to Christ in 92, man, I came with a lot of baggage. And, and it took a season of growing and maturing for me to grow and grow out of those old habits for the Holy Spirit to do his work in my heart and carve those things away. But to get your wheels turning on this subject of carnal Christianity, I want to look at a couple quotes from some famous preachers. Let's take a look at them. Charles Spurgeon. Who's ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? One of the greatest preachers of all time. He says this concerning carnal Christianity. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear so many sermons, but they make slow advances in the divine life. He gives it. He says, because they neglect their closets, talking about prayer, and they do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. And then he has a prayer, from such folly, deliver us. So one of the reasons we, people operate in carnal Christianity in their flesh is they neglect their prayer closet. They neglect reading God's word. So important. With it, you'll grow. Without it, you won't grow. Let's look at the next one. How many of you ever heard of uh, Paul Washer? Come on. Paul Washer will bring it if you've never heard him preach. He, you, you will leave his sermon either mad or, or repenting. But anyway, Paul Washer says this. If your life is marked by a preoccupation with your advancement in this world rather than the advancement of the kingdom of God, there is something terribly wrong. Okay, we all have occupations. Some of us are school teachers. Some of us are plumbers. Some of us are real estate. Some of us work at the plant. You know, and we need to have our jobs and our careers. But no matter what career you have in this life, no matter what you do, 
the first thing in your life should be Jesus, no matter what you do. He should be number one. Let's look at the last one. Leonard Ravenhill, fire, a fire and brimstone preacher, preached on revival, preached on prayer. Man, he would bring it like thunder. He's, he's since passed. But he says this, get rid of this bunkum about the carnal Christian. Forget it. If you're not carnal, you're not saved. That was Leonard Ravenhill. I mean, he, he would bring it. So what does the Bible say about carnal Christianity? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Because the most important thing is this. What does Scripture say? What does the Word say? So let's take a look at it. Um, first off, let me, let, me, let me address this first. Reasons. Reasons we act carnal. As we said a while ago from these slides, first is we neglect our Bible. We neglect our Bible. We neglect prayer. We neglect going to church. We neglect fellowship. When you get away from those things, even today, as Christians, we tend to drift away. That's why they're so vitally important. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll get into our verse-by-verse study. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word now. Lord, as we look at it, um, let it speak for itself and teach us your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, the Church of Corinth. Established 51 A.D., Paul's second missionary journey. This is six years later, Paul's third missionary journey. He's in in Ephesus, and he's writing back to the church at Corinth. So this is five years after he established the church at Corinth. Look at verse 1. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. He clearly addresses in this passage that they're operating in the flesh. But I want you to look at that third word in verse 1. And I, brethren. Paul is writing to men and women that are saved, that are born again, but they're struggling in their flesh. In, verses, in chapter 1, verse 2, these believers, he says that they are sanctified in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says that, um, that they had received the Holy Spirit. You know, he, he's saying this is a term of endearment. He's saying you're family, you're brethren, and I'm, I'm coming to, to encourage you to grow and to step out of this immaturity. And then he says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh. The word we have there in the Greek, which is translated, is carnal. It means it means that they're being, they're being governed by their mind. They're being governed by their flesh. There's no difference between them and the world. And then he says, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ, they were not growing up. Now, I misunderstood this early on in my Christianity. I remember in 1992, I went to an altar, gave my life to Jesus. And I remember Pastor Ron praying with me to receive Christ, and I prayed, and I prayed the prayer. And I left, out, I left there not knowing a whole lot about the Bible. Well, I came back six months later. And I, I, I wasn't living like I believed. I was still struggling in my flesh. So six months later, I'm down at the altar again, praying to receive Christ. And I'll never forget Pastor Ron. He put his hand on my shoulder. He says, you mean it this time, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Then I went to a Carmen concert. Sometime after that, went to the altar call. Then I went to a for him concert, and I went to the altar call. What was tripping me up 
was as a new believer, I was still struggling in the flesh. And it was causing me to doubt my salvation. And I'm like, I got to get this thing right. I got to get this thing right. But what I failed to understand and what many believers fail to understand is when you first come to Christ, you are an infant. You're an infant in Christ. You're a new babe. And as a new babe in Christ, you got to grow. You got to grow. I was saved from the very first time. I have no doubt about it. But I was tripping myself up along the way of life because I was struggling and my mind was condemning me because of the things I was wrestling with and things I was struggling with. But I was, what I needed was just to grow, was just to grow and to mature. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But we still have this thing inside of us. It's called the flesh. You might know what I'm talking about. There's this battle going on within us between the spiritual and the flesh. And I've been serving the Lord for 20 years, and let me here tell you something right now. Your pastor still struggles. He's, he still struggles in the aspect that there's still this war. I still have to, on a daily basis, surrender my life to Christ and say, Lord, I'm submitting to you today. I'm trusting in you. I'm not going to listen to the voice of the flesh, but I'm going to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And that's what we have to do as we grow. Verse 2, he says, uh, dealing with this subject, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, but you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. The Apostle Paul is saying here, on the first missionary journey, when he first came to Corinth in 51 AD, he, he, he gave them milk. He gave them the elementary foundation of Christianity. And, and church history tells us that after Paul left, who came in? Apollos came in, Peter came in, and they were building on the foundation. But now, here we are five years later in 56 AD, and they haven't grown up. I like Chuck, Chuck Smith has an illustration of this. He calls it Dada. He calls it Dada. He says, imagine a father, a, a, a couple has a newborn baby, and their little baby for the first time says, Dada, Dada. They're just elated in joy. They're excited. They're pumped up. He goes to work, and he tells all his friends, guess what my son said last night? He said, Dada. You go and tell all your family, guess, guess what little Johnny said? He said, Dada. But what happens if 20 years later, that little baby is 20 years old, and he's still in the house, and he's saying, Dada, Dada. That would not be cool. That would not be cool. There's a growth that we experience in our Christian life that causes us to grow in maturity, and we have to grow. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 3. For you, he says, uh, he says it right there. Look, you know, they're believers. He called, he's called them brethren. You know, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, says they're sanctified, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 3. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like, here's that, that phrase again for carnal, are you not walking like mere men? He's like, hey church, you're living like the world. You're living like everybody else does in Corinth. Signs of carnality, foul language, an undisciplined life. We tolerate sin in our life. You know, we all go through seasons 
you know, we're living for the Lord, we're living strongly, we're operating in the Spirit, but as soon as we start getting away from fellowship, as soon as we start getting away from the Word, as soon as we start getting away from worship, as soon as we start getting away from spending time with Him, it's just a matter of time, and our carnal nature will take over. Our carnal nature will take over. And that is not God's will. That's not where He wants us to be. He's given us tools to to not operate in the flesh, to not be carnal, but to, to operate in the spirit. You know, and if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all look back at our Christian walk and look at our, our seasons of carnality. I know I can. When I neglected God's word, when I neglected prayer, when I wasn't going to church, the carnal nature will slowly take over. And next thing you know, I'm in the flesh. And that's just not, that's, you know, but the, the most important thing as a believer, as, as, as a believer is as we walk through this life serving Jesus um, and we find ourselves in a season where we're acting carnal, is, this, is the, this is the important point, is we don't stay there. We say, oh, what am I doing? And I got to get out of this. And praise the Lord for that. That's the kindness of the Lord. To say, hey, don't stay there. Let's, let's grow. Let's move forward. Let's get back into church. Let's start reading our Bibles. Let's start spending time in prayer. Let's pop in some worship CDs going down the road and listening to some worship music. That's, that, that, that is how we combat carnality. And, and, and also, also, I want you to notice, look back at verse 1. What does he call them? He says, he calls them infants in Christ. Carnality has a timeline. Carnality has a timeline. In the very beginning, when we first become a Christian and we're walking carnally, we got to grow and we got to mature. And then later on in the Christian life, if we find ourselves walking carnally, then it has a timeline. We need to bring it to a close. We need to find a brother or sister in Christ to hold us accountable, get back in church. We need to bring it to a close and end it. The new believer's life, those early years, he's growing, he's maturing, and he's dealing with all that baggage from the past. That's the way it was for me anyway. When I got saved, there were some things that were broken off instantly, and there were some things I carried into my Christianity that I struggled with, that I fought with, and, and, and I found myself going in and out and back and forth. But finally, by the, by the Holy Spirit and God's Word and fellowship, you know, I was able to break away from that carnality. There comes a season where every Christian, every believer must grow, must, must mature. There's a solid warning in Scripture for believers that we cannot continue in a lifestyle of sin. We cannot name the name of Christ and, can, and, can, and walk with him and, and habitually, continually live in a state of sin, of rebellion against him. Let's look at Romans Chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, Paul addresses this. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. Nada. No, we can't. We've got to go away from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Basically what he's saying there is when you come to Christ, a death takes place. That old man dies. Now he likes to rear his ugly head, but God has given us tools 
to, to make him submit and surrender and, and surrender to the Holy Spirit versus um, to the flesh. We don't use grace as a license to sin. We can't say, oh, God's grace has covered me. I can live like I want to. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. We don't use God's grace. We use God's, God gives us his grace so that we can get out of sin, so we can find that, that new path, that new way of living for Christ in the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, if, uh, if, if a person does that, you know, they're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. They're quenching the When you do that, when, when, we, when we tolerate sin in our life, I'm talking about deliberate rebellion. I know what God's word says, but I'm going to go against it. When we rebel like that, it quenches the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And none of us want that. We want him to work in our lives. So we've got to be surrendered to him. Amen? Amen. So Christians struggle with carnality in the early years when they first become a Christian. And they grow and they leave it behind. And then if you find yourself in life, and it happens when you get away from the Bible, when you get away from church, when you get away from prayer, when you get away from worship, when you find yourself walking in carnality. It, and you know what? It's very subtle, too. It just sneaks up on you. You don't realize it. It's like you're just living life, and you're going along, and you're doing your thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, what in the world have I done? What have I done with my life? i got to get this right. Praise the Lord for that. So we come back to Christ, and we put that stuff to an end. We, we, put a death, we, we put a death to that old way of life. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at the second aspect of carnality. It's in verse 4. You know, there, there's a temptation in our world to idolize pastors. To idolize pastors, to idolize leaders, to put them up on a stand, and that is carnality. That is carnality. Okay? So let's, I, just want, I want to preface with that. Let's look at verse 4, and you'll see it in the word for yourself. Uh, verse 4. For when one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? That there's a temptation to, to idolize pastors, to make them rock stars. That's a very dangerous place to be. It's very dangerous for the pastor. It's very, very dangerous for the people. Because what happens when the pastor falls? The people fall with him. You know, it's a place of pride. It's a place of arrogance. Man, I, I, I'm just like y'all. God has called me to be a pastor and a leader and the shepherd of the church. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's one beggar talking to another beggar. Sharing God's word and, and, and sharing in life and serving the Lord. You know, have, have you ever gone to a church where people are more enamored by the pastor than Jesus. That's carnal. That's carnal. That's carnal. You know, no matter what church you go to or where you go to, or what church or conference or whatever, the center focus should be Jesus. You know, I hope people don't come here to see Pastor David <laughs> preach and teach, but I hope... And my prayer is that you come here, man, because you want to get into this word. And you want to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No matter who's preaching up here. No matter who's teaching. 
It goes, it goes that way in any church. We can't. I like what the, NL, the, the New Living Translation really nails down, verse 4. If you have, the, if you have a New Living Translation out there, uh, in verse 4, in our, our version, it says, Are you not mere men? But the NLT says this, Aren't you acting just like people of the world? That's what it says. Are you not acting just like people of the world? That's how rock stars operate. That's how Hollywood operates. That's how they operate. Not us. Not here. We come to lift up Jesus. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. What's he saying there? Paul's saying, man, we're nothing. Paul, I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. Jesus is is everything. Look at verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Paul is nothing. Apollos is nothing. But who is it? God. God is causing the growth. This is a a formula, a principle for growing a church. Is, Is one person comes in and plants one person comes in and grows. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I can't make Rodney grow. I can't make Rodney grow. I can't make you grow. In and of myself, I can't make you grow. I'm so thankful for that. I see people come into church, and they look at they give me this look like right here. Come on, Pastor. What you got? You know, they give me that look like, come on, let's see what you, you know, I, I get them. I see them. They're like, man, you, you can't change me. You're right. It's not my job to change you. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's, the whole, it's God's job. And man, I'm telling you, if, if you're aspiring to be in ministry and you learn this principle, oh, it takes a load off your shoulders. I got one responsibility, to, to plant, to water, to sow the word, and man, let the Lord do his work in your life. You know, I, I, it's not on my shoulders. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And it's not on, oh gosh, we got to, um, just entertain people or fix it up to, uh, to make people say, ooh, I really want to go there. It's a really cool show. No. No. Let, let, I like what Todd Frill says. The Wretched Radio. What you draw them with, you'll keep them with. And that's, that's what we're going to keep doing at Calvary Chapel Irmo. Uh, verse 7. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. There it is. They're they're nothing. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Thank you, Lord, that you're building your church. That you're building your church. And me and you and all the people that serve in our church, and there's so many are serving, we're just instruments. We're just instruments. We're just partakers. We're going to see in a few verses that God causes the growth and he does it. But he invites us to be a part. Let's look at it. Verse 8. Yes, verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Here it is. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. God invites us. He invites you to be a part of what he's doing. He's like, come on, be a part of this. 
Be a part of, of what I'm doing in the earth. You come and help. You come and contribute to be a part of building the kingdom. That's what God says to you. But I got a secret for you. You ready for this? He doesn't need your help. <laughs> he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help. How many uh, seen dad pushing the mower across the front yard? And he invites little Johnny, little Billy, little five-year-old Billy, come help him. And little Billy holds the bottom bar. Dad holds the top bar. Dad's pushing the mower. And little Billy's pushing the bottom. You ever seen that before? Or, or, or dad is cutting the grass and he tells his little boys to go get their, help, help, come on, son, come help me cut the grass. And his son goes and gets a little plastic mower. And as you push it, it goes, you know, he invites us to come and be a part. And, and our labors are fruitful. Our labors are fruitful. And he invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. It's like a train. It's like a train going across the country. We can get on the train or we can get off the train. But guess what? The train is leaving. The train is moving forward with or without us. Let's be a part. Be a part of that. Be a part of God's kingdom. You know, all of us, let's reach out to our neighbors. Let's reach out to our friends. Reach out to our loved ones in the name of Christ and help them know Christ. Help them be effective in, in the ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen. He invites us to be a part. Verse 10. Actually, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Here it is, guys. This is, this is a, um, a life verse. This is a, a verse that you build your life on when it comes to going to church and Bible studies. Verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We struggle with carnality. We wrestle with the flesh. The key to that, moving past that carnality and getting it out of our life, is two things. One, we have to slay the dragon. You know what I mean by that, slay the dragon? That means this, you do Whatever it takes to get victory, whatever the temptation is, whatever the struggle is, whatever it is that's causing you to stumble, slay it. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your life. Destroy it, slay the dragon, before the dragon slays you. Because that's what sin, that's what sin will do. And secondly, is, as according to verse 11 here, is we got to build the foundation. we got to build the foundation. we got to build the foundation of our life. we got to build the foundation of our Christianity. The deeper you go in the truths of the Bible, let me repeat that, the deeper you go in the truths of the Bible, the deeper your faith will go, and the more solid your foundation will be. Amen? All right, I think there's a company called, is it Ramjack? Are they the, they're the ones who check your foundation? Can I check your foundation this morning? Can I do a little, can I do a little ramjack this morning and, and check your foundation? You know, you be the judge. You examine your heart. You examine your life. And let's, let's check. I want to check your foundation. Can we do that? 
All right, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to close with this passage. We're going to close, we're going to close with this passage. We're going to, I want to check your foundation. Let you examine it. Let you, let you see what's going on. These things that we're fixing to look at, these are what you build your foundation on. The deeper, hear me out, the deeper you go in these foundational truths, the more mature you will be in your walk with Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. I'm going to start teaching when I get into verse, chapter 6, verse 1, but I want to read these verses so we see it in context. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Does it sound familiar? Sound familiar from what we were looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13? For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. He needs to grow. He needs to mature. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of, of, of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Look at verse 1. In Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote, he's establishing the elementary truths, the beginning truths, the foundation that our life is built on. These are the foundational truths. Look at verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Here's my first question to you this morning. Who is Jesus? How do you understand who Jesus is? There's not a more powerful, more thought-provoking question in all the universe. According to the New Testament, according to God's word, he is, Jesus is, 100% God, 100% man. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. In layman terms for today, Jesus is the God-man. He is the God-man, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, lived a sinless, perfect life, went to Calvary to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price so that you and I could be forgiven before a holy God. Those are non-negotiables of Jesus. What happened early on that Sunday morning? He rose from the grave. The Father, by the Spirit, reached down and raised Jesus Christ from the grave. He ascended to the Father's hands. Those are foundational truths for Christianity. In each one of those things I just talked about, we could spend months on. But that's why you have to get into the Word and get founded on that truth. The deeper you go in your understanding of Jesus, the more firm and the more solid your foundation will be. So, so important. So, so important. Continuing. Let us, in verse 1, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Question for you, next question for you this. Is your repentance vertical or is it horizontal? When King David committed adultery, Bathsheba, what did he say in Psalms 51? He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. 
His repentance was vertical. He wasn't sorry he got caught. You, you, you see where I'm going with this? Our, our repentance has to foremost be before a just and holy God. Oh God, I've broken your law. I've sinned against you greatly. And thank you so much for Calvary. Our repentance has to be vertical. So many times we see in the world today, people's repentance is horizontal. I got caught. Whoops. That's not repentance. Repentance is before God, not before man. There's chapters in the Bible written on the subject of repentance. Great and mighty words and scriptures that you can go deeper in understanding that and turning from the old life and turning to the new life. That builds the foundation. Let's continue. And he says, in a faith toward God. Hebrews eleven six, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anybody, they must believe that God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've got to have faith in God. We've got to have faith in God. We've got to understand him and trust him. We don't see him because he dwells in eternity, but we've got to have faith. How does faith come? How does faith in God come? You know, you're struggling in your mind. How do, I, how do I get this faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. you got to build. you got to have faith. you got to have faith. So important. Chapters and chapters and chapters written on the subject of faith. It's a foundation that will, solid, that will make your foundation solid and help you grow. Next one, verse 2. It says, of instructions about washings. What's he talking about here? I believe he's talking about water baptism. What is water baptism? It's an outward, it's a statement to the world of an, it's a statement to the world of what's happened on the inside. Does it bring salvation? No. But it's a statement to the world. I have been identified with Christ. And we need to be water baptized. Scripture clearly teaches that all people should be water baptized. Not so that we can be saved. That took place at Calvary. That took place by his resurrection from the dead. But it's a statement to the world of the old man going down and the new man coming to life and we need to follow in uh, obedience to water baptism that's another foundation that's a whole other foundation is being baptized and then he says uh, in verse 2 in the laying on of hands it's a picture here of the Holy Spirit Acts 8.17 says then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit do you, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you understand that the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside. The Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside. He hasn't left you alone. He hasn't left you as an orphan. But the Holy Spirit is inside of us to guide us, to, to direct us, and to push us toward the things of the Lord. Volumes and volumes of, of, of Scripture written on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Dive into that subject. Say, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? And dive into it. And when you study that and you get into the Word and see what it says, what are you doing? You're building your foundation. Amen? Amen. Let's look at these last two. The worship team can begin making their way back up. It says, and laying on of hands in the resurrection of the dead. What's he talking about here? Several things. First, he's talking about eschatology our understanding of end times. People like to say, oh, we can't study that book of Revelation. You can't understand it. Yeah, you can. 
Yeah, you can. I believe you can understand the book of Revelation. Now, some of us put things in different order, but we all understand there's coming a day where Jesus Christ will come back to this earth. It's called the rapture. We understand that's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We understand that there's a great tribulation coming. We understand that there's a beam of seed of Christ coming. We understand that there's a, um, the millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne of judgment. Study those things and let your roots go deep. And it says, uh, that's eschatology. Then he says, in the resurrection of the dead, do you understand, does it encourage your heart? Does it bless your heart to understand this? Death is not the end. Death is not the end. That's the promise from God's word to us. Death is not the end. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We need to grab, put our, wrap our minds around that, wrap our hearts around those truths. Because they're amazing. They will build us up and they will establish the foundation and then finally, he says there, he's right here to, 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 to grow into maturity. He says, finally, he says, into eternal judgment. To eternal judgment. You know, we need to understand that we will be held accountable. We will, we will be held accountable to how we live our life, whether we were faithful or unfaithful. You know, for the believer, they call it the beam of seat of Christ, where we will stand before him. It's not a judgment of salvation. Your salvation was purchased at Calvary. And, and Christians go to heaven based on what Jesus did for them at Calvary. But we will still be held accountable. We will stand, we will stand before the Lord and, and, and we'll display what we've done for him. Let's make it count, guys. Let's make it count, man. Throw yourself. Man, don't, don't when it comes to Christianity, you know, it's, we just uncovered our pool. And I went up there the other day and I kind of stuck my toe in the water. Woo, that's a little cold. I'm not ready for that yet. You know, sometimes, so many people do that with Christianity. Is they like, ooh, let me just dip my toe in here. Let me see how it feels. Oh, oh, wow, that's cold or that's warm or whatever. Don't do that. Sink or swim, just jump in. Just sink or swim, just jump in. Dive in to following Christ. Dive into his word. Living for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for these truths. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just encourage your people to go deeper in the Bible. Help us to go deeper in your word. In our devotion times, in our quiet time, in our daily lives, help us to go deeper. And help us to build the foundation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.